You're now listening to Fundamental Fast Pitch. Hey y'all, it's Jessica Tanner here with Heather Maloney and we are back for episode number 79, uh, Outfield Skills and Drills. So uh, me being me, you guys know I have a soft spot for my outfielders and um, we kind of combined our left, right, and center field positions into one episode on our last position spotlight. So we wanted to spend some extra time just kind of going into detail about some of the necessary skills um, that an outfielder needs and some drills you can do to work on that. So here, here again, uh, number 79 with outfield skills and drills. Um, let's get right into it, Heather. We're going to start with your favorite. Um, let's talk about throwing in the outfield. Um, before we get too deep, what are some differences on outfield throws versus infield throws? Well, your infield throws are going to be shorter and quicker, um, more on a line typically. Um, your outfield throws are going to typically have to cover more distance, so you may have to get more air under them depending on what exactly, what kind of throw you're making exactly. Um, but at, at its core, all throwing is the same, so you can start with some basic drills to get the, the throwing form down and, and kind of just get warmed up and then move into more specialized outfield type throws. But So you can start with like the T-drill the that we've talked about before. So that's what we're focusing on here is starting facing your target and making sure that you get your, your back foot for, for a righty. That'd be your right foot perpendicular um, to your target. So if I'm throwing... Let's see, let's, if I'm throwing to, if I'm standing at home and I'm throwing to second base, my right foot should be pointing towards the first base dugout perpendicular to my target second base when I make that throw. So that's what we're focusing on with the T drill. Yeah, so uh, for those of you guys that are not remembering your third and fourth grade math, perpendicular means like opposite direction. So if you're throwing towards second base, your foot should be turned away from you. Um, what that does for our outfield throws, kind of just going back to infield versus outfield, it automatically sets your feet so that you flip your hips into a rotational throw. A lot of problems we see with outfielders is that they don't get closed, they keep their chest open, and you can you can get away with doing that on the infield and, and maintaining some of that speed and sacrificing some of your power. Uh, you cannot do that in the outfield because you have to you have to cover that distance, you have to generate that power. So um, the T-drill, uh, we call it the T-drill because um, what you do is you actually draw an upside down T on the ground. So the top of the T would actually be like right in front of you and the bottom part of the T would be pointing towards your target. Um, so if you guys are actually like drawing this out with hand motions and in front of you right now, you and I are on the same page. Um, Heather and I are over here doing the same thing just to make sure we're explaining it right. Um, that's one of my favorite throwing drills just as is no matter what position you play. So I'm glad that we started with that one. Um, going into more of the longer throws and being able to generate power and cover that distance from the outfield, um, what are some things that players can do to kind of build that arm strength and work on those longer throws? Yeah, long toss, um, one of my favorites. So once you get nice and loose, uh, start stretching it out. So the way I like to do it is uh, get loose and then start taking about three or four steps back at a time um, and, and take a couple throws and then um, just keep, just continue to keep drop, uh, moving it back. 
So until you get to where you can no longer make the throw all the way, if you're maybe one or two hopping it, that's probably gonna be your limit. So stay there and finish out with five or six throws, and then you can work yourself back in to like a normal shorter throwing distance. So you're gonna probably do, a, if you're doing about three throws at each stop, you, you might be doing a total of, I don't know, 20 throws or so, um, working yourself back and then working yourself uh, back into you know, a normal distance. And that's gonna really, really help with um, with arm strength. And then also as you start to stretch it out and get a little bit better with the arm strength, you can start working on your accuracy um, of those throws as well. Yeah, and I'm gonna add to that too, like when you're doing this at practice, pick someone that has a similar arm strength as you so that you are basically helping challenge each other and make each other better. It doesn't do you any good if you're throwing with someone that cannot throw very far or is still working on it. So, um, and then if you are that person, like let's say you do get paired up with an outfielder or someone that it wants to throw long, it's also okay to bounce it a couple of times before you get it to them and just let them, as an outfielder, like let them stretch it out as long as they need to and just do your best to get it there, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a great way for you, if you're the weaker one, to get stronger. You know, push yourself, of course, within your limits, not hurting yourself, but push yourself to get better. That's that's a really great way to get better. So long toss, um, there's there's a saying like, when, you, when you're an outfielder, don't airmail it, uh, and you want to have it on a line. So long toss is good because you typically want more height underneath your ball, right? Like you want to think about like you're throwing something in between a line drive and a pop-up. So kind of that yeah. 45 degree angle, if you would. Yeah. I'm not going to call it a rainbow throw, but it's, it's somewhere less than a rainbow, but not on a line. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere in between. So um, that's something too, like it's just a drill when you're an outfielder and you're actually getting in the games. Um, it's important to know that Yes, you want to put some air underneath it for your long toss drills and building that arm strength in warm-ups and practices, but when it comes time to make those throws during a game, um, unless you have like a runner at second or third or um, if you if it's a ball in the air, if there's no other runners to consider um, behind the runner that you're throwing at, so for example, let's say runner at third base, um, one out ball in the air, you catch that ball, you have nobody else on base, right? That would be an instance where you do want to like try to make it all the way in the air to the base that you're throwing at. Um, so in that instance, it would be all the way home. There's no need to kind of throw that ball on a line or like through a cutoff because there's no cut that's going to be made, right? There's no other runners to consider. Yeah. The only play you're going to have is that you might possibly have is if you make it all the way there with one throw, it, you won't have a chance if you try to go through a cutoff in, in that situation. Absolutely. And most of the time your catchers will be saying all the way, all the way, all the way. So you'll, you'll have an idea of when that throw needs to be made. Um, I'm going to take us over into kind of as an outfielder, the different techniques you can use to generate that power from your throw. So um, most traditionally you have the crow hop, which is where you're kind of positioned behind the ball. And for right-handed throwers, you're hopping, um, off of your left foot and catching into that like perpendicular T stance with your right foot and then a planned throw. So you're, if you're practicing this from a stationary stance, it would be like a running stance. So like left foot forward, right foot back, catching the ball and hopping up with your back foot, catching in front of your your left foot and then making your throw. Um, that's going to be your crow hop. You also have what's called a step behind, which is where like same thing, you're, you always want to be positioned behind the ball, but 
if you have time, right? So um, where you, you're making the catch and you're coming from behind the ball and you actually take your, again, right-handed thrower, you take your right foot and you put you plant your foot behind your left foot to, um, again, just kind of create that backside power and get you in, into a rotational position. Um, there's a similar drill called the step behind drill when you're hitting. So same concept. Um, and then there's the skip step. This is more rare. It's actually more common in baseball. You'll see the baseball outfielders that kind of take that like right foot, like double hop or like a, a replant with their right foot. It's essentially what you're doing with this, with the skip step. So you're catching from behind the ball. You plant with your right foot. It's the same crow hop motion, but you actually catch again on your right foot and go straight into your throwing motion. So um, I'll see if I can get you guys some videos of that. Uh, it's not going to be as, as sharp as it would have been if you had asked me maybe 10 years ago, but <laughs> we'll see what we can come up with there. Um, and then, so that's that's all about throwing and like creating and generating power, covering some distance. Uh, let's talk about accuracy for a minute. Yeah, um, as a as a catcher, uh, we uh, definitely appreciate a, an outfielder that can put the ball where it where they're trying to put it. So, you know, down like knee height, right in front of the plate, ready to make that tag. That's definitely appreciated. So, um, yeah, we like to do target practice. Uh, you can use something to create a target. It can be a, a bucket at home plate. It can, you can use um, you know, screens or nets, uh, hula hoops, basically anything. It doesn't matter what you choose, but um, from all different distances, um, all different types of throws on a line versus sort of the more uh, airmail type throw, you know, you can use any kind of variation you want to whatever you want to work on. Um, but basically, you're just picking from where you're throwing and trying to hit a target. Um, it can be, you can make it into a competition. You can just, um, you know, against teammates or against yourself, you know, how many out of 20 can I hit? Uh, or what have you, um, but that's a really, really good way, and you can do it by yourself. It's a really, really good way to practice your accuracy. Yeah, and as, I'm surprised you didn't add this as a catcher, but I'm as an outfielder, I'm going to add to that when you're working on target practice, um, try it again again to make it as like game-like game -like as possible. So if you have girls throwing at buckets or nets or something like that, if you're throwing to home plate, make sure you have it set up on the third base side of home plate. Like, so that they, you get them looking for and trying to work on giving the infielder a throw of where they're going to be placing a tag and giving you the best shot of where you're actually going to be able to make a play. Yeah, that's definitely a great point. But even if you're not on a field, even if you're just in your backyard, you know, set up a target. It doesn't matter. You know, target practice is target practice. Accuracy as accuracy. Um, if you can hit this spot, you should be able to hit whatever other spot you might try to hit. You know, it's it's knowing what your target is and trying to hit that target so don't limit yourself if you're not available to you know if field's not available for you go in your backyard find a target you know use your chalk and draw a target on the fence you know there's lots of options be creative yeah absolutely uh let's uh let's jump into some footwork um obviously with an outfielder the first step being the most important but uh, I'm going to run through these pretty quickly and then we'll make it a point to get you guys some visuals just because I think that's going to be the best way to actually be able to to explain these to you. So um, huge for outfielders are going to be your drop steps, um, opening those hips up to make sure that you have uh, a good uh, best path to the ball, um, setting you up kind of on your route. Um, some good drills to do with drop steps are going to be uh, your football drill, so drop steps over your glove shoulder, your throwing shoulder, and then balls like straight back over your head where you have to turn and make what's called like a bucket catch. Um, 
those in which, by the way, those are extremely difficult. I think I had two in my entire life. Um, but anything drop steps, anything footwork related, that's going to be extra important for outfield. Uh, and then a ton to change of direction. Um, so this is going to come into play. Like if the wind takes you or let's say they hit a spin pitch or they don't get extended the batter, the batter hits a spin pitch or they don't get extended through the ball. If you're a corner outfielder, you're going to see some, probably some tail to that ball. So maybe having to change directions or let's say you just took a bad route and you got to reassess and change directions. So um, some good drills there are going to be the cross drill where you kind of start on a line drive running left to right and then drop step for a pop-up over your head and then come in hard for like a short toss or a scooping catch or a diving catch. Um, Pac-Man, similar concept as the, the football drop step drills, uh, just changing direction, hip flips, popcorn. Again, I'll, uh, I'll do my best to get you guys some footage so this you can actually see what this looks like. Um, and then, as always, if you have any questions or need some clarification, you guys can write in, and we'll be sure to cover that. Um, but let's go ahead and get into the, the fielding part of right. so, being an outfielder. So one thing that we've been stressing lately is, is glove control. So tell me how glove control and glove placement for catching a fly ball uh, plays into outfield. Uh, well, for one, it sets you up for a good, strong throw, right? There's nothing worse than, like, going and catching a ball and letting it completely, like, take your glove away to where you look like this is, like, your first time playing outfield. <laughs> and then you have to, re, like, bring it back, reset, get, get into your throwing motion. So, as with anything softball-related, glove control sets your body to be in control so that you can actually make good next moves, be athletic, um, and then control kind of the outcome of whatever happens next. Um, we talk about glove placement. Um, so we talked about infield and outfield throwing on infields more focused on speed versus outfield is more focused on power when it comes to throwing, right? But outfield also has to get the ball in quickly. Like runners are moving. There's the old saying, like for every second you hold on to the ball, a runner gets an extra three steps. So anything we can do to make little little advancements or little adjustments to get rid of the ball quicker and also generate power, that's going to give us the best chance of success as an outfielder of throwing somebody out. Um, so glove placement, you want to be set up again behind the ball. So what I mean by that is, any chance you can beat the ball to where you think it's going to be, you want to get there, you want to get set up, and you want to be taking like two or three hard steps through the ball so that you are moving as you catch it and moving as you throw it. You don't want to be flat-footed. You don't want to have to start from scratch by like oh, misjudging it and having to reach back behind your head and then reset yourself to, to generate power. So glove placement, we want to be behind the ball. Ideally, you want, if again, right-handed thrower, if you are a right-hand thrower, you want that glove on, like, kind of just to the right of your head on the side of your right shoulder. What that does is it sets you up to immediately go into a good, strong, and fast throwing position so that you can generate power but also get rid of the ball quickly. Um, another thing when it comes to glove placement on catching fly balls is uh, you don't want to be completely, like, straight arm stretched out. You want it kind of like your arm bent so that you can cradle the catch and move through that transfer. Um, that's going to be especially important on your pop-ups. And then um, we'll get to the fielding side on like do or dies and stuff in just a minute. But when we talk about glove placement on your do or dies or your scoop and shoots, basically when you're moving through a ground ball, 
on your glove placement for that, you want to make sure that your glove is right next to your left foot. Again, right-handed thrower, right next to your left foot, and it's not too stretched out where the ball's way away from your body. Again, because you're trying to move through a ball that is also moving and trying to control it and make a good, strong throw. So glove placement, again, just to recap for pop-ups, you want that glove kind of right over your right shoulder so you can go straight into a good, strong throwing transfer on scoop and shoots or do or dies. You want that glove right next to your left ankle so that you're fielding it and pulling the ball right up into that throwing motion. Okay, so that's that's really. I gotta tell you, scoop and shoot. Scoop and shoot is as an infielder. That's so scary to me. Like to think I have to run through the ball and hope that I that I don't misjudge it and miss it. That's very scary for me. So the outfielders <laughs> that can do that, props to you. Can I tell you that with someone that struggles with a lot of anxiety, it's extremely <laughs> stressful as an outfielder, especially knowing that the only thing behind me is the fence. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, please don't mess up. Please don't mess up. Um, and then also like, oh, you have to take into consideration field conditions. So if it takes a bad hop or a divot yeah. or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Add to the stress. No, thank you. Keep yeah. Me, keep me in the dirt. Um, give me a third where I can't, I don't have time to think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Sun balls. What, what do you do special for sun balls? When you, when the ball goes up and you look, looking in the, you know, in the air for the ball, but then it's right there in the sun. What do you do? So first and foremost, you need to let your other fielders know that you have a sun ball so that they are backing you up and they're on your back pocket if you need them and so they can also tell you uh back right there right there they can let you know where you're at um so good ways you can do that is help help I can't see the balls in the sun like it sounds silly but I have had full-fledged conversations in the outfield when it comes to sun balls or wind or miss routes or whatever um so making sure that we we let everybody know hey we got a sun ball if possible um, if you're camped out underneath it and you just suddenly like lose track of the ball, um, it's like an eclipse, right? It's like immediately again, going back gone. to stressful anxiety. Yeah, no. <laughs> yes. Um, first and foremost, I like to encourage, uh, players to use their glove because it's like the biggest surface area. So you can turn your glove away from you so that it is in like a pop-up catching position and then use your glove to cover up the sun so you can see where the ball's at and kind of peer your head around your glove to kind of see it coming out of the sun. You can also get low so if your glove's up high and you're getting lower you can at least kind of get an idea of where it's at or where it's going to end up. Um, the, if it's on, let's say it's on your catching slide, like on your glove hand side, you can use your throwing hand to again, cover the sun, get low. Um, and then the biggest thing is, uh, just making sure that like you're, you're doing your best to cover the sun. And if you're running, obviously like you can't, you can't hold your glove or your hand up while you're running, right? So um, those are the, usually the easiest. You're not going to see a lot of sun balls that get lost just because of the angle off the bat, right? Like it's very hard to have a sun ball to an outfielder that's on the move. Um, but then again, if you're camped underneath a ball that suddenly disappears, uh, it's absolutely terrifying. Um, so just making sure that you're doing everything you can to let your teammates know you have a sun ball. Ask for help if you need it. Um, listen, be a super duper attentive, actively listening for what your teammates are trying to tell you. And then, um, either using your hand or your glove and getting low to find that ball and being ready as soon as it comes out of the sun, like not being caught off guard when it's like, okay, I see it. And then it's like on top of me. So, so don't panic. 
do, do your best <laughs> do not your to best. panic. Yes. And if you're going to panic, ask for help. Because again, if you're another outfielder or even an infielder that's running backwards, they're going to have a different angle. Mm-hmm. So the sun is likely going to be to the side or behind them. So do not be scared to ask for help. Like at the end of the day, like we always tell our girls, as long as the ball is caught, I don't really care Doesn't who catches who it. Did, yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's a big one. Okay, so let's talk about different fielding positions in the outfield. You'll see your outfielders kind of, sometimes they'll take a knee, sometimes they're, they'll do like the scoop and shoot like you talked about. They'll, they'll take different approaches to the ball, I guess, depending on the situation. So so can you go over the, I think we have three uh, fielding positions here. Can you go over them for us? Yes. So first position, just like you said, Heather, you're going to be on a knee. So that's going to be if you don't have any runners on base, um, you want to make sure that ball doesn't get by you or like on a really, really hard hit where it's like, hey, I have to do one whatever it takes to stop this ball. Um, it, you're not you're not coming up quickly to make a throwing play. Now, with that being said, you also need to get up quickly to get the ball in quickly. We're not going to lollygag or hold, hold on to it or kind of just mess around, but it's a safety thing on making sure we don't let the ball by. Um, so with that, again, right-handed throwers, you're going to take your right knee and you're going to put your knee down perpendicular to your chest. Actually, I lied. Your knee is going to be Uh, parallel to your chest. They're going to be the same direction. And then you're going to kind of square your hips up to the ball and your chest up to the ball. And then kind of like not as aggressive as a catcher, but kind of like a catcher, you're going to take your chest and you're going to kind of cover it over your knees a little bit. And all you're trying to do is keep that ball in front, whatever it takes to knock the ball down. So a good example of when you would use this position again is when there's an absolute screamer hit at you and you got to knock it down. Um, if you have nobody on base and you want to knock it out, knock it down and then throw it to two, or let's say you have a runner at third base and the ball's hit at you and you don't have a play at home, but you got to be ready to get the ball into two. So that runner can't get into a scoring position. That would be a good time that you use that kind of like first position on defense. So what's the timing of getting down on your knee? Cause I can, I can picture an inexperienced <laughs> outfielder. Oh, here's one that I have to keep in front of me and they go immediately down to a knee, but then we get a bad hop or they just misjudged it. You know, when do you go down to that knee? Yeah. So that's a very good question. Um, you want to, you want to wait as long as possible without missing it, if that's fair. So the harder the ball is hit, you need to get down a little bit earlier than you would. If it's a slower roller and you're just doing that to be safe, maybe you've got crazy, terrible like field conditions and there's potholes and rocks everywhere. Who knows? Um, then you're, you're, you're just going to want to kind of judge the ball. So the faster the ball is hit, the quicker you need to get down. The um, slower the ball is hit, you have kind of more time to get there, get behind it. And then you do want to make sure you're squaring it up. So I would say safe bet, like it's got to be to the outfield. Like you're, you shouldn't be on a knee when the ball's still rolling through the dirt. You laugh, but no, it's, no, I, it's, I've, I've seen, seen it. Seen it. <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, that's first position. Let's go into, we'll go to second position. That's basically going to be like your infielder stance. When you see infielders fielding a ground ball, working from the ground up, Um, that's probably on a hard hit ground ball, um, that you, that you obviously want to keep in front of you, but you also still need to be able to like make a play on, um, that would be a really good time to use that stance with like a runner at second base, but it's on an absolute like hard line drive that you're just not as comfortable or confident, um, fielding like on a do or die or on the run. So you need to be able to get rid of the ball quickly with a strong throw, but you also can't risk letting the ball get by you. And then the 
this very, very stressful scoop and shoot. <laughs> yes, scoop and shoot or do or die is which is a perfect name for them. <laughs> um, that's where you is uh, where you is where you are running through the ball to scoop it up on the move um, to use all that momentum on a runner that is like on is running. Um, so good example of that is like runner at second base ball hit to anyone in the outfield, you know, they're going home. You've got to move through it to be able to give yourself a chance at throwing that runner out. Okay. Um, let's go to sort of an extension of, of the fielding, uh, sliding and diving. Um, you know, your outfielders are going to be making sliding and diving catches. Um, but not, you know, especially starting out, you, you don't just know how to dive. At least most kids don't. Um, so what you, you might start with like a diving progression. What does that look like? Yeah. So, um, easiest thing, simplest thing, safest thing is I always like to start girls out on their knees and just have them work as low as possible. So start on their knees, um, teaching the importance of not trying to catch themselves because uh, they're scared of falling. Um, that's a big thing to remember because the more, the more you try to catch yourself because you're scared of getting hurt, the more chances there are for you to get hurt. To get hurt. Yeah, between wrists and elbows and shoulders and just a whole, whole lot of risk for injury there. So um, using your glove or even like the, the ball in your glove to kind of catch yourself on the way down, um, making sure like to push into the glove to stretch yourself out, not like catch yourself, catch yourself. Um, but diving progression, so starting with your knees and then maybe from like a split stance where you're taking a step in and then maybe you take a couple steps and then work into it and always work on like a, a short distance at a time before you just build up to full-fledged at a sprint. Um, sliding mats and then even cardboard boxes. Um, I know they make the big fun fancy sliding mats that take up half of your garage, <laughs> but cardboard boxes will do the trick, the right? Yes. Um, if you're in Texas where it's hundred degrees all year long, uh, slip and slides, those are a fun one. Um, but, uh, just teaching them correctly from the ground up, small steps, baby steps, um, there are some different drills with like partner diving and W's and M's where you're working on not only sliding and diving, but change of directions. Um, so those are really fun ones. And then the biggest thing for sliding and diving as an outfielder for me is knowing like when, yes, like when it's okay, when it is absolutely not okay, when you have to, um, when you slide versus when you dive. So, um, safest bets for for corner outfielders that's your left fielder your right fielder don't drive for line drives uh don't dive for anything down the line unless you absolutely know you have a center fielder that's right there to back you up um because that's a lot of ground for a center fielder to cover if it's a line drive you know that ball is going to carry uh unless you are 100 certain that you are going to make that catch that's a very very risky move um but then on the same breath like if it's like zero zero ball game and you got a runner at third base, like you have to, right? So, <laughs> so knowing your situation, knowing absolutely. what's appropriate for the, the, the point in the game. Absolutely. Yes, situational awareness, softball IQ. Um, when to slide versus when to dive. So outfielders, um, I did not always follow my own rule, but the safest bet is anytime you're going into a fence, ideally you'd like to kind of slide, <laughs> which is going to be feet first. Um, when you're not going into a fence, it's okay to, to dive, which is going to be your head first movements. Um, uh, the, I always found the balls that were right in front of you, like line drives, the hardest balls to catch. I imagine. Those were... In, judging those must be very difficult. Well, you talk about stress and anxiety, not only judging, but like, 
oh, I hope this doesn't fit, hit me in the face, right? Like, the ball's hit so hard, I'm willingly putting my face in front of it. Um, I always found myself sliding for those just because um, not only was I more comfortable with that, though, like the line drives head on, but also like for those, I felt it was easier to kind of do like a pop-up slide and get right into a position where I could throw somebody out if needed. Um, so those are really, really important. Um, and then kind of takes us straight into sliding versus diving and like kind of communicating and working with your infielders, right? Yeah, so when you have those tweeners, you know, you, oh, we talk about communicating, number one, but if, you're, if you have two players running at the same ball and they're going full blast, we don't want a collision. So what do we do to avoid that or minimize that risk? So everyone's going to do it a little different. Um, I have found over my years, both playing and coaching, that what works the best is you kind of set the standard from the beginning. Infield goes um, high, outfield goes low. So outfield, you're going to slide or dive um, basically because you're coming in um, and you don't want an infielder having to like slide or dive back behind them. That's a very difficult move. So um, infield's going to go high, outfield's going to go low. What I mean by that is let's say we have those tweeners that are dumped like right in between left field and shortstop, right? You're both going for it. You're both going for it. Let's say um, outfield calls the infielder off at the last minute. Then outfield's going to slide. And again, we're going to slide on that situation. That's not going to be a head first movement just for safety reasons, but you're going to slide low and the infielder is going to stay high and even go around and kind of become like a secondary backup on that ball. So, um, that's, that's your safest bet. Um, I'm never going to tell somebody not to go for the ball, but if you're both going for it at the same time, that's kind of just general rule of thumb for sliding and diving for those balls. Um, and, and if the call is late, so if your fielders are call the ball late and, and um, you don't have time to necessarily follow the rules, uh, just get the heck out of there if you're being called off. Like, do what you can to keep each other safe. Yeah, so that's... And spatial awareness. You have to know <laughs> what's around you, who's around you, in order to do that. Man, so that takes us directly into my next big bucket. Yeah, it's <laughs> communication. So um, another way you can easily determine infield versus outfield is... Um, set that standard from the beginning. Infielders call mine, mine, mine. Outfielders call ball, ball, ball. Um, short, sweet terms, and they are very different, so you know exactly what you're hearing. It's not, I got it, I got it, I got it, or you go, you go, like, or, well, I thought she called it. Like, it's very short, crisp terms that are not easily confused. Um, and then on communication, too, when it comes to let's say pop-ups or tweeners or just infield versus outfield, outfield, any outfielder is going to get priority, is going to get to call and catch the ball over any infielder. Uh, Again, safety concerns, outfielders, it's a lot easier to catch a ball running in than it is for infielders to catch a ball running back. Um, And they have the best view of the the field, the best view of um, just everything else that's going on, not only the field, but also runners in motion and, and things like that. So, um, outfield gets to boss around the infield when it comes to catching pop-ups. Um, a good way to work on that, not only for your outfielders, but infielders as well is you can set up in small groups in like a triangle or a square and throw balls, not only in the middle, but also side to side and have them everywhere. Yeah. Just have them react and communicate and call the ball. Um, one of my favorites, uh, I like to call it like team popcorn. So 
basically you put everyone out in front of you and you throw just a t as rapid fire as many balls as you can quickly and just tell them like hey this ball can't hit the ground like back row you guys have priority over the front row so figure it out and kind of do it slow at first so that you can kind of see how it goes and let the girls get comfortable and and confident kind of calling the ball and working together but after that um, move a little faster and make it a little harder stretch them out a little bit where they have to cover some ground too um that's yeah that's one of my favorite ones in fact we might do that at practice that sounds like a lot of fun i hope <laughs> you do it yeah that um, would be a good one on those make sure you're setting your priority on that team popcorn if you have two lines a front line and a back line i mean that's that's pretty intuitive your front line is like your infield that back line is like your outfield but if you're doing like in a triangle or square kind of setup you know let let the players know you're you're acting as the center fielder you're the right fielder you're the second baseman this is what you know so we know our priority the the, the, the center fielder would have priority um and calling off anyone in that situation so um i mean it, it's it's great to communicate you know just do the triangle or square drill without that but um if you want to take it to the next level and, and work on priority and who has you know the power to call off other people then you can set that at the beginning before you start throwing the ball no, absolutely. And on communication too, that also goes for like during the game. Outfield, like you have the best, aside from catcher, right? And it's a different view. I can't even yeah, say the different. best view. It's different. Um, but catcher too, like you don't really get time to see like because you're obviously having to catch the ball at a fast rate of speed you don't really get time to see like maybe who's getting big leadoffs or who's getting an early jump versus a late jump or um if if runners aren't paying attention going back to the bag versus outfielders you can kind of see that and pick up on that um so just talking not only to your in and same thing to your infield um especially center fielders like hey left field this ball came to you last time hey you're in hey i'm back hey shortstop this is a slapper we're shifted over i'm in your back corner um let's be ready just again communicating before the ball is hit makes playing the ball a lot easier all right uh moving into fence drills so um outfield you know those deep fly balls or even foul balls you might have to deal with the fence um so so there you know nobody wants to run into the fence when when you're trying to catch a, a fly ball or a pop-up so uh, but at the same time it's nothing there's nothing more frustrating as a coach to to see a player pull up on a ball in, in foul territory that they easily could have caught but you can tell they're scared they're going to run into the fence because they have no idea where the fence is so that's something you need to practice and again with the communication um, whether it's uh, on foul balls, your catcher's calling it, or out deep in the outfield, you know, your your, your neighboring outfielder might be helping you with the, the fence calls. Um, or your corner bases. Yeah, or corner bases. Um, honestly, you know, anyone. Anyone, anyone yeah. have you to just, you know, err on the side of over-communicating it. So if if the ball is, is nowhere near the, you know, no, nowhere near the fence, there's no danger of, of running into the fence to catch that ball. You know, you're yelling, room, 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 so that the, that fielder knows they can just go for it without a, without a worry. Um, if the ball is taking is going to take the, the fielder towards the fence to where, um, you know, there's, they're probably going to be fine to catch it with, without hitting the fence, but they need to find the fence to make sure that they're safe and they're not, you know, maybe they're, you know, in that situation you might catch the ball and then you, if you don't plant and make a throw or stop moving, you might run into the fence as you carry on. 
Yeah, or like if you're just not sure if they're gonna hit the fence or right not, right? Like you know they don't have room, but you also don't know if they're gonna hit the fence. Mm-hmm. Find it Find is it. a good safe bet to like let them know they have a chance, but right. you don't like really know. You're approaching the fence. It's yes. getting close, right? Mm-hmm. And then last, um, you'd yell fence, fence, fence if you know for sure that that ball is at the fence and that if they're gonna choose to go for that ball, they are going to hit the fence. Yeah, absolutely. And that too, like. When you yell fence, 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 that's not only in those balls that are like foul, but also uh, as an outfielder, you use that call on balls that you're beat, right? So if there's a line drive and I'm a center fielder and I see it tailing over the left fielder's head and I don't know they have a shot, I'm immediately saying fence, fence, fence so that they know, hey, you are beat. You need to break down and be able to play that ball off the fence. Like you don't have a chance of catching it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you know that you're approaching the fence or the ball is going to take you at or, or near the fence, how do you how do you make sure that you if you're going to go for the ball that you're staying safe and you're not just going to run straight into the fence? How do you know? How do you find the fence? How do you adjust to where the fence is? Uh, first off, don't use your face. <laughs> um, so you don't ever want to go like body facing first into a fence. You want to kind of position yourself where. ideally you you beat the ball to the fence so you go sprint to the fence and then work your way backwards to the field um you're not always going to have time to do that right um so in that instance you want to make sure that as you are approaching the fence you're turning to where your let's say again right-handed thrower your your right shoulder and your back are going to take most of the most of the hit if you do run into the fence so your your actual chest and your face that would be facing back towards the field. Um, again, for safety reasons more than anything. Uh, we never wanna run Heisman straight arm into the fence. We wanna make sure we're using our forearms kind of bent to also, uh, if we have to find the fence to make a catch, to kind of brace ourselves and find the fence with our forearm, never straight out. Again, risk for risk and elbow and shoulder injury. Um, so you want to kind of beat the or beat the ball to the fence. Use your body, the back side of your body. I guess that's the safest, easiest way to explain it. Um, and then position yourself back towards the field uh, when possible on catching fence balls. And then um, let's take that other example we used for fence on a ball that's beat, um, that's beaten you as an outfielder. So on that, um, basically you're just going to break down and start looking for the ball off the fence. So. Um, depending on what kind of fence you have, if you're playing on a, on a wood fence, I can tell you it's going to come off very fast and it's going to hurt very hard if you run into the fence. Um, a lot of outfields now they have like a padded fence, especially if you're playing at like the high school or college level. Um, if you've got the chain link fence one, you need to check your, your fence before you start. So as an outfielder, I always used to go like walk the fence line, take a ball, throw it against like the middle of the fence, the top of the fence, the bottom of the outfield fence, just to see how the ball would bounce back. Um, so that you kind of have an idea of how far you're going to have to go on a hard hit off the fence. And then also if there's any like gaps in the ground, right? If there's a risk for the ball getting stuck or anything to worry about there. So um, on a ball that let's say your center fielder calls fence and you're a corner outfielder and it beats you, as soon as you hear fence, you're actually taking your eyes off the ball and you're turning to find it off the fence and getting into a like lower athletic position to be able to have your feet positioned to where as soon as you touch the ball, you're ready to have your feet set up to where you're turning and already making a throw to your infielder. Um, 
So that's a really, really good one to practice, like with partners off the back fence, having them not only call it themselves, so call room, find it fence. Um, a lot of times you have miscommunications in the outfield because people are scared to make a call. To make a decision. Yes, to yeah. make a decision, make so, a call. I mean, it all sounds very logical and makes perfect sense that you would want to call room, find it, or fence, but it, like you're saying, it, you're going to have to practice it so that you can get the confidence that you're able to read it properly and that you're not going to run your teammate into a fence. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the fear, right? You're, you're afraid you're going to say it wrong and they're going to run into the fence and hurt themselves. Yeah. So you were, we were talking about earlier about like who can call room, find it fence. Basically the safest bet is anyone but the center fielder. Cause you got to think everyone else has at least some, center fielder and pitcher, right? <laughs> everyone else has some degree of like angled to the ball. They can kind of have a good view behind it. I will tell you that I played outfield in college with a center fielder that was absolutely terrible at communicating on fence balls to the point where I got tired of her running me into the fence. So I just told her, Hey, like, don't, don't call the ball for me. Like I'll figure it out on my own. Um, because as a center fielder, like there's no way of like seeing and knowing where your corner outfielders are in relation to a foul ball fence. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Foul ball fence. No, no kidding. Yeah. yeah. Your foul ball fence. Yeah. You definitely probably want your catcher, your, your corner infielder calling that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, that's something to practice. So, I mean, literally just a lot. Yeah. Practice it a lot. Literally just throwing balls near the fence and, and letting everyone communicate and go and try to play those balls. Absolutely. And that's again, communication, but fence draws are especially important because it always works out that like, when it's a, a ball on the fence, it's an opportunity for an outfielder to truly like change the pace of the game, right? Like as an outfielder, that was my favorite thing. A lot of people like like throwing girls out and stuff on the bases. My favorite was like robbing foul balls. Cause as a hitter, you're like, oh, foul ball, cool, another yep, shot. shot. Yep, and they're no. like, uh, nope, go sit down, <laughs> like good try. So that that was my favorite, but um, it's, it's one of those two, especially if you have like a close game or a struggling pitcher. Like, that's a huge thing. If you have a pitcher that's either struggling or can't find the strike zone or just playing a really well-hitting team, like, that's an opportunity to kind of give her some extra um, confidence on the mound as well. Yeah, and and on that note, that was actually a strategy I would use as a catcher calling pitches. If I had a batter that I knew would just pull too foul, um, I'd take two strikes. And if we can take one of those as an out on a foul ball, let's do it. That is so smart. So, okay, so we didn't have this in our notes in our outline, but on that note too, like – Outfielders, another thing that's important, another skill, especially as you get older, is um, not all teams are going to do this, but if you have middle infielders that relay signs to your outfielders, so you know, you have an idea of what to expect in terms of what pitch is coming and ideally if you're getting the ball or not, right? So screwball versus curveball, if your corner outfielders are getting it, um, if a changeup's coming, um, that's something that is a good skill to know too because it can just help you set up for success better in the outfield. Right. The more information you have, the more you can anticipate and, and, and adjust to what you might expect. So that's, yeah, definitely more advanced, but that's definitely something that some teams uh, will take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. Super smart though. We used to try to do that. Didn't always work, <laughs> it always but worked. <laughs> uh, man, I'm going to be honest. I could talk about outfield for hours, but uh, I know this is already a longer episode as is. Do you have anything else you can think of that might help our friends out when it comes to outfield no i'm just impressed that i had anything to contribute (laughs) i think you did great and from a catching perspective too i think that that's very helpful all right well this has been jessica tanner and heather maloney episode number 79 outfield skills and drills um we will coming back we will be coming back to you guys soon for episode number 80 can you believe that 
It seems like just yesterday we started. 80 episodes of all things softball. I love it. Uh, Well, until then, you guys stay warm, stay safe, and everyone stay blessed. And we will talk to you guys again here shortly.